The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one could count the dust of the earth, so your offspring also could be counted. Arise and walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord God, we give you thanks once again for your word. Help us with this text, as in every text, to understand what you are saying and to be transformed by it, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Please be seated if you would and grab your Bibles. If you want to turn to Genesis 13, Genesis is, again, that first book in the Bible is Doug referenced. Uh, 13 chapters in, you will find Genesis 13, the text in which we're looking at, verses 14 through 18. Genesis 13, 14 through 18. You know that second time that you see the movie, the movie that has that really great plot twist at the very end that you didn't see coming and it's a great surprise to you and the joy of the first time of watching the movie is that you're caught off guard and you're kind of flat-footed by that and you go wow that was a great plot twist and stuff like that and then you watch the movie a second time let's say months later or whatever you watch it a second time and as you're watching it the joy of the second time around is that you already know the plot twist you know what's coming and suddenly all those hints all those subtle indications of what was going to happen suddenly just jump off the screen at you. You're like, oh, now I see why this was. The first time you watched it, you just kind of watched it, and it didn't register. You know, those things happened, and it didn't stick in your mind. But then once you see the plot twist, and you hold that plot twist in your mind, and you go, oh, now I see what's coming. And the joy of watching it the second time around is kind of anticipating, seeing if you can pick up on all those subtle hints that give away the plot twist that you never knew was coming. The first time that you read this text, or perhaps as I read it for us together here, you're kind of looking at the text going, okay, you know, I I see a promise to Abraham and those kind of a thing, and nothing's really jumping off the page for you. Well, I want to talk about a number of things that jumped off the page for me because I know the plot twist. I know the, the end of the story that's going to give this a big shake for us and, and reveal something brand new. And when you know the plot twist, then suddenly a whole lot of things that you're just looking at initially suddenly really take on new meaning and it jumps off the page for you. So if you have your Bibles open, I want to note about five, six, seven different things that jump off the page at me because I know the plot twist at the end that is really going to bring this alive. Verse 14, the text that we're looking at begins, the Lord said to Abram, uh, and you might remember if you were here last week, we looked at Genesis 12 where the call of Abraham is, or the call of Abram is given, and I noted how unique it was and how much we should stand in awe of the fact that God actually speaks to mankind, that God spoke to Abram. And that should be much more awe-inspiring to us, and I think that it is. And, of course, we have that same experience every day when we come before the Scriptures. 
we should be awe-inspired that God has chosen to speak to us. But here you've got something a little bit different. The Lord continues to speak to Abram. It's not just once, but this is a continual event. Now, between the two stories, between what we looked at last week, which is at the beginning of Genesis 12, and what we're looking at now, which is at the end of Genesis 13, you've got a couple of different stories. Abram has gone uh, with his wife, Sarai, down to Egypt, and he has acted incredibly reprehensibly. Uh, it's a, a complete moral collapse and utter embarrassment uh, to anybody who would know Abram, what he has just done. And then he comes in chapter 13, and he acts in an incredibly moral, upright way, a very godly way in his interactions with his nephew Lot, as they kind of divide up how they're going to be in separate spots like this. And the key thing that holds all of those stories together is that God still speaks. Because what we see here in this picture is that God just doesn't want to tell Abram one thing once. God wants to continue in this interaction with Abram. He has this intimacy. He wants to develop a relationship with Abram. And you do that not just by talking to somebody once, but by engaging over and over again in conversation. And so the great miracle for us today is not that God speaks to you once, but that God speaks to you every single day that you come before his scriptures. If you hear him well, or if you don't, the Lord speaks to us over and over again. And it jumps off the page to me here that God speaks to Abraham. That We just can't, we get so used to thinking that the Bible is God speaking to people that we read that and we don't recognize how unique it really is, especially when we know that we can apply that that we can see that in our own lives. Our Lord speaks to us as well here in the scriptures. So it jumps off the page to me. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, the two of them kind of split up the land in different ways, going different places. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward. Lift up your eyes. Now, this jumps off the page to me, but I want to be as, as faithful uh, as I can, uh, part of my job is to faithfully articulate what I understand the scripture is saying, and I want to be as clear as I can about this one. I think overwhelmingly that when the scripture uses lift up your eyes, it's just an idiom. It's just a, it's a fancy way of saying look. Look and see. I don't know that there's a whole lot of other things behind that. Overwhelmingly, the idiom is simply just saying, it's a fancy way, over 20 different times in the scripture, it uses the phrase, lift up your eyes, or lift up his eyes, or something like that. Um, the idea, I think, being overwhelmingly here, that we're just talking about a, a cute way of saying, look out and see. Having said that, I think that it's, it's instructive for us that Abram has just gone through this terrible collapse of of moral chaos. And again, if you read the end of Genesis 12, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And Abram is caught in the same kind of sin that so many of us always get caught in. And that is that he looks inward. He looks downward. Sin causes us to collapse in upon ourselves. Sin is nothing more than me not seeing anything but me. Me overwhelmingly being concerned about me. And all I can see is me. And I love the fact that the text uses that idiom if it's just an idiom. Or if indeed God is trying to say to us something that says, look, when you're so tired and you're so overwhelmed of the sin and the brokenness in your own life, look up. Look up. 
It's that great passage that Doug started the uh, reading with here. Look, look to the heavens. Look up and see what the Lord has in store for you. And here, Abram is instructed. He says, look, lift your eyes up and see. And I, I love that picture that we are to take our eyes away from that which we are so consistent at looking at ourselves. Navel-gazing. What's this about me? And God says, lift up your eyes, Abram, and look and see. And it jumps off the page that Abram is supposed to do that. Look at the place where I will give you. Look from where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. Now, we don't know exactly the spot where Abram was when he heard this message. We get some clues from the earlier part of Genesis 13. You can kind of nail down geographically where he is. And sure enough, there is a spot in southern Israel right now where you get a lookout. There's a, there's a high point that is easily accessible, and you can get there, and you can stand just in one spot and turn all the way around and see northward, southward, eastward, and westward. At one point in my life, I climbed a mountain and I got all the way to the very tippy top and you could stand at one spot and spin in a circle and see all the way around. And, it's, you know, and you think about that, that's kind of a normal thought, but we actually have only a few spots where you can do that. Normally, you're, you're looking around and you run into the mountains that are over here or maybe you have to walk around something in order to see all the way around. Abram's got this spot where he's standing in a place and he can see all the way around and the picture here is God's promise to Abram is the immense character of his gift. Look northward. Look as far as you can southward. Look wherever you want eastward, wherever you want westward. That is the gift of our God for you. It's this great, immense blessing. God's, God, the communication to Abram is that there's no end of the blessings that he wants to pour out upon him. The land, the gift of the land that he is giving is, is everywhere. There's no end in sight. And that jumps off the page for me once you realize the twist. Look northward, southward, eastward, and westward for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring together. All the land that you see, once again, it's so easy to get so en enraptured by the gift that we miss that the text is emphasizing the giver. The point here is not all the land that Abram is being given. It's that God is the one who is giving it to him. All the land that you see, I will give to you. Why? Now, immediately preceding this, Abram has acted in a rather good and moral way in the way in which he's handled his nephew Lot. And it's kind of honorable when you read the first part of chapter 13. But the end of chapter 12 is a mess. And you read this and you realize it is not because Abram has done something to somehow please the Lord and the Lord feels constrained that he has to give to Abram some wonderful gift. This is that wonderful, marvelous quality that we talk about all the time and we can never talk about too enough. enough. That is the grace of our Lord. Why is it that Abram gets what he gets? Simply out of the giving nature of our God. God has that giving nature. He can't stop but do this. 
And so he's in front of Abram, and Abram has, is, is, is listening to the Lord, and the Lord says, I am going to grace you upon grace and upon grace. And he pours out all of the grace, and it jumps off the page at you, this grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I will give to you all this land, and I will give it to you and to your offspring forever. This is characteristic of our God. Our God does not do things in half measures. Our God doesn't put a time stamp on the end of things. The immensity of the gift in, in physical ways, in the land, that it's from all north to south, east and west, the immensity of the land is matched by the immensity of the time period in which God makes his promise to Abram. This is forever. There's no end to the work and the grace of our God. I can't tell you how many times I'm entering into conversations, and I know this is the case for you as well. You're speaking with somebody, and they're enraptured. In, in, in they're kind of caught up in the beauty of the gospel message, but ringing in the back of their mind is, but God might change his mind with me. But what if God changes his mind? Sure, he loves me now. Sure, I hear his love for me. But once I really mess it up, then what happens to me? And the promise of God that screams to us from the scripture pages here is that this is something that goes on forever. This is the promise that God makes to Abram that has no end. It screams to us about the gift of Jesus Christ, a uh, gift of God to Abram in this case. Verse 16 then, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. Now, we mentioned this last week, and again, I don't have time to go into it at this point, but the gift of the offspring here, the focus upon the fact that Abram will have children and will have descendants, is it's much more than just the emotional experience of having kids and the joy of that or the, uh, or the uh, financial ways of being able to pass on your blessings to other people or having somebody inherit from you or any of those kind of things. The imagery of the offspring blessing here is a picture that you too, Abram, are included in the people of God. You too are a part of the lineage that is going to lead ultimately to the Savior, the salvation of this world. So the, the picture of the offspring, the multiplication of offspring here, in, in shorthand for us, it's just easier just to recognize this as, as the pinnacle of God's blessing for Abram. How can I express the best for you what it means that I am blessing you, I will give you many offspring. And again, if that doesn't sound like a great blessing to you, we can talk, I can show you in the scriptures why it is such a great picture for Abram. But it's a great blessing. But I want to note here for a second, that notice how God phrases this. As much as the dust is upon the earth, and the, the word dust here is not just the particles of little stuff that gather underneath your bed at nights. Um, it's it, It's any small piece of dirt, uh, any grain of sand, any, any kind of uh, particle or something like this. Now, some of you will know from your own Bible reading that in a couple chapters, and we're going to look at this in a couple weeks, God will bring Abram out and he will at night into the open sky and he will say, look at the sky, look at the heavens. All those stars up there, so will your offspring be. If you could count the stars... You could count your children. You'll never be able to. And I love the picture here that the, in Genesis 13. It's like if you look down, if you look around at this world, you are constantly reminded of all the blessings of God. And if you go out at night and you look up, 
you are constantly reminded of all of the blessings of God. You cannot be but surrounded by the blessings of God. God makes it clear between chapter 13 and chapter 15 that no matter where Abram looks, he will be overwhelmed with this tangible picture of the blessings of God. Look at every part of dirt that I'm walking on, every piece of dirt that is all over the place, every dust mite that is anywhere I see, and then look up into the heavens and all of the stars, God's blessings never end and they overwhelm us in this case. And then in verse 17, God says to Abram, arise and walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you. Now, in a very technical sense, this is how you make a legal transaction of land. God is giving Abram this land, and if I buy a piece of land from you, it's not really mine. It's not mine until I actually walk the length and the breadth of it. So that's just part of the way in which you made land transactions back in the day. And so in part of what God is saying to Abram here is, I'm giving you this land. Now, go ahead and take legal possession of it by walking the length and breadth of it. Okay, that's part of it, but what is Abram doing as he's walking the length and the breadth of the land? Why does God want him to do this? Because he is, he is tasting and seeing the great blessings of our God. He, this is a, a promise to Abram that is going to be forever, that this wonderful land, all of this land here is for you and for your offspring, and right now, taste and see of the goodness of the Lord. This isn't just something that's coming in the future. It's not something that you only anchor your mind or your thoughts in in the future. Right now, taste and see that the Lord is good and that great encouragement that is put forward in there. And these things jump off the page for me because I know the twist. And the surprising twist of the scriptures is not just that these are blessings for Abraham or for Abram, but these blessings find their fulfillment and their satisfaction in Jesus Christ and in all those who join themselves to Jesus Christ and ultimately in their culmination in our time in heaven. The promise that we're reading about right now, the reason, the, the great surprise, the great grab of the rest of the scriptures is when it says you're not reading about something God interacting with somebody 4,000 years ago. Okay, that's very nice. Thank you, God, for telling us how you interacted with this particular individual 4,000 years ago. That's very insightful. No, what the scripture is, is it's setting up for us the fact that what God has done for Abram, the promise that God has given to Abram, finds its fulfillment, its literal fulfillment, for you and for me. What we're reading here is not God's promise just to Abraham. What we're reading is God's promise to us that we, will experience, that we experience in part through Jesus Christ and which we will ultimately experience in its fullness in heaven. This passage is about heaven for you. The great twist is at the end of this movie, God then looks at you and looks after you've read this text, and he looks at each one of us and says, now, this is not just for Abraham. This is for you. This is what's ahead for you. This is the future, the heaven that you are experiencing in part now through Jesus Christ and that you will ultimately experience in its fullness when you are in God's presence now and into eternity. And so every one of those promises, every one of the hints and the subtle things that make a good story for Abram 
suddenly make the world for you because it's talking about your future, your presence right now, and then everything that will be for you as you are forever and eternally in the presence of God. Listen to some of these things again. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abraham, the Lord desires consistent intimacy with you. This picture that some of us have when we get to heaven, you know, we'll, there'll be a big, great big worship throne room and God will be way, way, way up there sitting on the throne and all of us will be gathered together and there won't be any social distance and we'll be overwhelmed with great joy of being together worshiping Jesus worshiping God and he's way up over there and that's okay he's way up over there and he's well worth but that's not quite right our God speaks to us now our God desires heaven is this experience where we are in God's presence continually Paul has this phrase that though I see darkly now at that point I will see him as he is face to face Heaven is this indication that, that God gives to Abram that says, it's kind of like this, I'm speaking to you now, but for your descendants, for those who claim the name of Jesus Christ, for those who are unified with him, there is a future here where the intimacy will be so deep, so connected. That's the experience that we have right now in part through Jesus Christ and that we will experience in the fullness when it comes to our time with the Lord in heaven. So you have verse 14, the Lord says to Abram, lift up your eyes. The ancients used to talk about the being in God's presence as the beatific vision, that the vision, that your sight is overwhelmed with what is beautiful, overwhelmed with what is present, overwhelmed with the goodness and glory of God, so that you have the beatific, the blessed vision that just overwhelms us. And here it is. Lift up your eyes. Now, it's a struggle. Isn't it a struggle to lift your eyes away from yourself? To take your eyes off of your own troubles? To, to, to move your vision away from what you know is cramping your style as a Christian and putting it on that which is glorious and marvelous, Jesus Christ. And in heaven, there will be be no such struggle. Your eyes continually locked on the beauty of your Lord. Lift up your eyes and then you look and what do you see? Northward, southward, eastward, westward, the immensity of your experience in heaven. Your, the immensity of your experience with the Lord. There's no edge. There's no boundary there's no running to the corner but it is just continually in the presence of God continually in the presence of God and why because we look north south east and west and we see all this land heaven that God will give to us grace doesn't stop at the cross grace doesn't stop for you when you become a Christian. Grace doesn't get you over the finish line when you die. It is God's goodness, his graciousness, that will carry you every minute of your existence all the way through eternity. And that is the promise of our Lord, that he will be giving 
He will be that gracious God all the way to eternity. For there is no end to the blessings that our Lord gives. Verse 17, 16. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. Again, heaven is this picture. Every picture, every picture? That might be an exaggeration. I don't know. Let's go with it. Every picture that we have in Scripture of heaven is this overwhelming multitude. There is a multitude of people. We are joined together, not by a few, not by some. There is a multitude of believers that we are joined together with heaven with. And this promise to Abram is just an inkling of the fulfillment that we have in Jesus Christ for each of us, that we are joined together. Taste and see. Arise and walk through the land in verse 17. Arise and walk through the land. Experience now a part of this blessing. And of course, if this is the promise of God to Abram, and Abram is to walk the land and experience it now, and that's supposed to shape and mold his life completely, so the experience for us is to shape and mold our lives completely. This vision that we have, this promise that, is, that the twist gives to us, that when we read this passage, we are reading not about God's promise to Abram alone, but we are reading about God's promise to each and every one of us. And when you read the text that way, and you realize that there's going to be a time where you look northward, southward, eastward, westward, forever and a day, and your vision is brought up to the Lord continually and forever, there's no stopping the joy. But that's actually not what I experience every day. And I have lots of conversations with most of you in this room, some of you in this room, and it's not the experience that I have with you every day. I had a very formative shaping experience back in the early 90s. I was in my late 20s. So you will hear this story numerous times because it tremendously shaped my, my thinking, my life, my realization of what I was doing when things like this jumped off the page at me. I was uh, doing mission work in Bulgaria. It was my first international mission trip, and I took a trip with some people over into Bulgaria, and we went into the very hinterlands of Bulgaria, and as we were traveling over there, our shtick was to gather a group of people together by playing the guitar and singing and speaking English and looking very American, and of course you got a whole bunch of people gathered around, and I was, for whatever reason, usually designated as a guy who would do the open-air preaching. It was my first open-air preaching experience, and you can imagine all the nerves and everything that was going on with that, and, but this was, so I, I get there, and, and I get kind of geared up for the experience, and then I share the gospel. I talk about the beauty of God's creation, how God created every one of these people, even these Bulgarians who I've never met before. I know that God has created them in his image, that he has intentionally loved each and every one of them, and that through their own fault, and because they are connected to the rest of humanity, they have fallen greatly from God's favor, and that they are outside of his redemption because of the brokenness and of their sin in their lives. And yet God, out of his great passion and his mercy, sent his very son here upon this earth so that he might take upon himself the sin. And I'm, I'm so frustrated, so much a victim of my own sin, 
that as I build up the story to the fact that Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross for me and for every one of them so that they could be freed from their sin, I'm excited and I get all ramped up and I'm like I am right now. And I get, and I go, now I'm working through a translator this whole time or else the message really wouldn't make much sense. So I'm working through a translator, and after a while, you get used to it. If you've ever been overseas and worked through a translator, you know how this goes. You kind of say something. You have to get used to working in certain short phrases, and I got pretty good at that. You know, you say a phrase, wait for a second, it gets translated, say a phrase. So you tell a joke, tell a joke, wait for a second, then everybody laughs. You know, it's kind of like you guys sometimes. Uh, And so, you, you know, you're going back and forth like this. So I ramp up to the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, and I say that, and I wait, and it gets translated, and they all look like you do. You know, they just kind of go, okay. And I thought, oh, what a bust. And then kind of just to wrap up the story, I then kind of said, and of course he's coming back to take us home with him someday in the future. And the place went crazy. They, they were overwhelmed by the thought that this isn't all there is. That God's promises extend so far beyond this that we're just not limited to this. I like this. I'm happy here. I don't like COVID. I don't like my sin sometimes. I don't like your sin sometimes. But overwhelmingly, I'm okay here. Heaven doesn't mean what it should mean. We should be reading this text. We should be seeing the promises of our God. We should be overwhelmed at the fact that what God promised Abram 4,000 years ago is what he is fulfilling right now for you in a magnified great way so that you will experience the joy and the eternal presence of being with God. What's Abram do with the promise? What are we supposed to do with the promise? Verse 18, so Abram moved his tent and came and settled at the Oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and many of you caught the idea of Hebron here. And there he built an altar to the Lord. He took his tents, he took all that he had, all that he was, and he settled into the promises of God. And there he built an altar to the Lord. How does Abram respond to the promises of God? He takes all that he has and he settles into the very heart of those promises. And then he worships the Lord. If heaven really is what it is, And if that really is what's awaiting for every one of us, and if we have a foretaste of it right now in Jesus Christ, settle into those promises. Take all that you have and put it into those promises of our Lord and worship his name. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, we do ask that you would enable us to worship faithfully your name here in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the sorrow in which we live at this time. Grant to us the vision to see well the promises that you have given to Abram and ultimately the promises that you have given to each one of us through the blessings you give to Abram, we ask in your son's name. Amen.